Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor. On today's episode, we are discussing the long-term implications of atheism, naturalism, or scientific materialism on society. In other words, what happens if atheists get what they want and create a society based on their ideology? This is the Salty Pastor where history, philosophy, and ideology is reviewed through the lens of objective truth. Where your mind, your will, and your emotional state is considered a reflection of your soul, not something non-existent. Where biblical principles meet the rational mind. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and our guide through these complex waters will be none other than our very own salty pastor, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Uh, greeting friends and my fellow seekers. Uh, we're trying out various monikers. We've got a few more uh, votes and some input. And uh, my wife said I should call people salties. You're salties. a saltee. And then that made me think I'll probably end up saying call everybody saltines. Yeah, that, that was my <laughs> natural progression on that. But you guys are seekers, and that's what we love is being here for all of you seekers. We're fellow sojourners through this path so we need to stay salty and frosty because the world is going crazy right before our eyes and the whole point of this uh, time together is to guide you out of discouragement into hope and i think one of the best way to be hopeful is number one is kind of have a sense of what's going on so you don't feel like these these headwinds or these these shifts in culture are unknowable and unforeseeable. I believe that we can know why they're happening and where they come from. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Salty Pastor has been effective is it helps people have a sense, wow, I don't have to be discouraged. I'm not out of control. This is what's happening in the world. And I know why it's happening. I know where these ideologies come from and these cultural movements and shifts come from. And that allows you to not be discouraged, but hopeful. Because once you know where you're at and why stuff is happening, then it allows you to say, hey, now I can navigate this. I can chart my way out of it. So I want to develop within all of you who listen to an overwhelming optimism, not only about uh, God and what he wants to do in your life, but what he wants to do through you in this world so that your life is filled with purpose and meaning. So uh, Salty Seekers, my goal for you is to be more joy-filled, happy people, even in the midst of a crazy upside-down world because you can see the world for what it is what it's truly doing and you're able to navigate through all of this stuff with a clear vision grace integrity love and joy well and i think what's great about this series we've been currently in mm -hmm. is for a lot of people including myself it's just been really grounded in something that um isn't so Sometimes it can get really, uh, what's the word I'm thinking? Ethereal. Ethereal <laughs> when we're talking about these different yes. things in the Bible and, you know, who Jesus is, you know, mm -hmm. outside of the physical form that was represented on the earth. And so it's like having this opportunity to go, hey, I studied this in yeah. school. I understand this. Like I have a, a, a stronger grasp on that. Mm -hmm. And then we're also reclaiming science for ourselves. You know, it's, science has been yeah. used as a tool against our faith for so long. It kind of Correct. felt like... If you even suggest that science is a good idea some days, people at church might be like, no, there's no way that could be. <laughs> ah! And really, it's just the way that and they've gotten exactly yeah. what they wanted. The, the media conflict and the, theory and is taken the root. The conflict yeah. theory is taken root of 
oh, well, they took science away from us. We're not allowed to use that to justify our position anymore because mm-hmm. it's the tool of the opposition, right? Yeah, yep. Um, and that, of course, is bad for science. It's been really bad for science. We're going to kind of dig into that a little bit today. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a little bit of a nerd at heart, so I like getting a little nerdy with you, and I think you're a big nerd at heart. <laughs> you love I'm, all of the things. <laughs> I am a nerd in at heart and on the outside as well. <laughs> I look very nerdy. But nerd's the new chic, so it's actually good. <laughs> Oh, so I'm a salty chic. Yes. Um, and I think that's the same reason a lot of other people are connecting with this series is just because it's grounded. It's stuff that they've seen. Some of it can, um, you know, some of these scientists that you mentioned, like people may not have a ton of um, background on, but it's mm-hmm. it's a little more well documented, too. Yeah. Like they yeah. could go, oh, I want to learn more about what happened to Copernicus. And yes, the documentation on that's a little stronger than some of the stuff that was happening back in. zero Mm -hmm. ad basically yes yes yeah you can go back and research all this and unfortunately you're not going to get a lot out of it in in a a public educational history class because uh rightly or wrongly you know they're like well we want to separate church and state we don't want to we don't want to teach religion okay that's fine but the problem is is that you can't really teach much of western civilization over the last two years without acknowledging the influence of religion and of course they've attempted to do that and because of that it gives you a false picture yeah so now that we've looked at all these historical mm-hmm. facts the the philosophical conclusions and uncovered what the naturalists the scientific materialists atheists are all attempting to do mm-hmm. with science what are kind of the final conclusions of this whole thing well, I'll be I'll be really uh, forthcoming, and that is is that atheism, I believe, is the most destructive faith based ideology to individuals and general humanity. That is a strong claim. <laughs> it is. It's destructive, and history teaches it. Uh, phil- philosophy, psychology, sociology, all comes to this conclusion is because it's basically, and we'll dig into this into a moment, it's nihilistic. Whenever your frame of reference, your, your worldview is that your humanity is irrelevant, your life is meaningless, you have no purpose, and the universe has no purpose, and you know, once that's your frame of reference, everything else becomes absolutely and unequivocally meaningless. What, whatever you do to human beings is meaningless. How you treat human beings, meaningless. Your own thoughts and dreams and aspirations, meaningless. Your uh, truth, meaningless. Virtue, meaningless. It's all worthless. And so this is the most destructive ideology, and it's a faith-based one. It's not based on science. It's based on faith. Now, once we know this to be the case, we have to realize as theists, particularly Christians following Jesus Christ as our Lord, we don't fight atheism with anger. We don't fight it with hatred. But the best antidote to atheism is love. That's really what it is. Love is all about uh, a passionate commitment to know the truth, that there is objective truth and we want to be we want to passionately pursue it. We don't want to succumb to religious superstition. We don't want to come to succumb to atheistic superstition. We want to pursue objective truth, not only in science, but in philosophy and in history across every 
discipline that there is. Number two, we must engage our rational mind. You know, faith requires reason. And as uh, Arrhenius said, as Augustine said, as Thomas Aquinas said, and the list just goes on and on, is that uh, Justin Martyr said, reason is critical to faith development. And so you have to engage your rational mind. Number, uh, number three is your compassion towards the lost who, who are misguided and deceived. You know, our goal for people who buy into these ideologies and who are, who are influenced by them is not one of hatred and judgment. It's one of compassion that they're lost, they're misguided, they're deceived. We, we see them as future uh, uh, converts, you know, that we see them as people who need to be set free Uh, Now, on occasion, what happens is you have people that commit horrendous and atrocious acts in the name of their ideology, and we need to stand opposed to that. Even at times, we must take arms and defend the orphan and the widow. Uh, That's why I think what cops do is so noble, and that's why I think men and women who serve in the military are doing a noble thing. Uh, We have to be careful, though, that what happens when a secular atheistic ideology gains political control over the military. Well, now suddenly the military, which is a tool, is no longer a noble endeavor. You see, it it can be manipulated and used for horrendous things. And we see that in history over and over again. So the overarching truth is, is that we can't become turtles. You know, we can't just retreat into our shells and let this storm pass over. We must embark on a crusade of love. And I'm not talking about the wishy-washy, atheistic, secular humanist definition of love, which is always sexualized and is only reserved for the young and the beautiful with perfect teeth. (laughs) Uh, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real love, that powerful love, that sacrificial love, that high virtuous love, the kind of love that comes from people who make sacrifices, the kind of love that a mom has for her children, you know, when she pushes herself without sleep to make sure that they're taking, men who are pushing themselves and providing for their families and taking responsibility for uh, protecting them and, and seeking what's best for them. You know, these, this type of altruistic love is a crusade of love that is going to counteract the overwhelming secular, humanist, atheistic philosophy that's being presented Uh, in our public educational system, our universities, and then adopted by our media. So we got to be people of love, but not the way they define it, the way God does. So what are the biblical principles that are driving our response to this ideology? Well, first of all, is first Peter uh, in chapter three, first Peter, you know, Peter was an apostle. He's one of the lead apostles. And he wrote first and second Peter, these two letters to all the churches because the churches were being persecuted severely. So they were really suffering. And a lot of people are like, yeah, I didn't sign up for this. Heaven's a great idea, you know, but, you know, this being free in Christ is cool. But, man, we are just getting, you know, crucified for this. And I'm not so sure it's worth it. And so Peter writes in to teach them how to persevere, how to encourage them. And then this is what he says. He goes, look, in your response, you must first in verse 15, chapter three of first Peter says, you need to revere Christ as Lord in your heart. So what he's saying there is an axiomatic truth. It's, and that is, is that do you or do you not have Jesus Christ in the first place of your heart? Do you or do you not believe in objective truth that he is Lord 
And then subjective, he is Lord of your life because he has saved you and redeemed you. Do you believe his definition of reality, of who you are as a human being and what is the point and purpose of your life? So set aside, revere Christ as Lord in your heart. And then he says, once that happens, once you have that priority set, that focus set, that goal set, he says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So what he's saying is that, look, once you set aside Christ and you know Christ is your Lord, then that brings tremendous hope into your existence right now in this moment for tomorrow months and years following, and then ultimately eternity. So it's all about hope. And he says, you need to be able to articulate that hope. You need to be able to, anytime someone gives you uh, a question about why you're so optimistic, why you have such strength and vision, even though you're being persecuted, he says, you must do this though with gentleness and respect. You don't do it with anger and hatred, but you do it with gentleness and respect. And verse 16 goes on to say, this way you will keep a clear conscience. So keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And that's the bottom line is people will always speak maliciously about your faith. That's never going to go away. Uh, the key is, is that if we are ready for that and prepared for that, we know that we can mitigate the influence of these people who hate God and hate us because we love God. And we can mitigate that. Uh, another passage that's very important is in Ephesians chapter 2. It begins with verse 14. And Paul is writing this letter to kind of tell the Ephesians, because they were being persecuted as well. It, you hear a common theme in the New Testament? A little bit, yeah. yeah. People are always being persecuted for what they believe. And what happens is he's talking about this is where you fit. The first three chapters of Ephesians are this is where you fit in God's cosmic plan. You know? And he says basically in verse 14, he goes, look, look Jesus Christ himself is our peace. Now, he has made the two groups one, and he destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about that there were Gentiles and there were Jews, and there was a wall of hostility. But when Jesus came, he destroyed that wall of hostility so that Jews and Gentiles have the same access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But look at what goes on. He goes, look, he is set aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create. So now we see is that Jesus came for a specific purpose. He came to reconcile both Jews and Gentiles to God through the cross. And when he died on the cross, he put to death their hostility. Hmm. So the hostility between them died. So our purpose through the cross of Christ is that our hostility towards other human beings who are trapped in wicked ideologies is to see that hostility destroyed through the power of the cross. I can't destroy it. My politics can't destroy it. Only the power of the cross can destroy the enmity that exists between them and God and ultimately between them and myself. So in verse 17, 
Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. So the purpose of what we're doing in the Salty Pastor and at Foothills Christian Church is to not only tell people, hey, this is what's going on in the world so that you know, but the Bible teaches that the more we preach Christ, the more that hostility is pushed back. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my kingdom. So we need to expand the kingdom, expand the kingdom, expand the kingdom, and be totally aware of these wicked ideologies as they, they uh, crop up. And I believe atheism, if you just look at the 20th century, is one of the most evil ideologies that has ever existed politically and socially in the history of the world. So were there any other texts you wanted to reference or, or were those the two primary ones you wanted to hit on? Yeah, I think those two are the primary, you know, we could talk about John three sixteen. We could talk about, uh, Matthew 28. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but I think in a nutshell, almost all of them are about pretty the much same, about the same, about the same thing. Yeah. That gives us a sense of purpose of why we're here on this earth and why we are to do what we're to do to preach the gospel. You know, because that pushes back evil and it keeps all of these things that destroy human beings and away from God at bay in the best way that we can. But we do it with integrity. We do it with love. We do it with uh, respect. Uh, but we do it with clarity of thought and clarity of truth. And we stand up for that. Well, and I think it's interesting that these texts seem to not only tell us what to do, mm -hmm. but the way in which we should go about doing it. Yes. So, and even in those other ones that we didn't read, but you reference, it's the same, same scenario. Mm -hmm. And so how would you go about discussing these destructiveness about this ide ideology in the manner that these biblical principles teach want us to go about it? Well, I think you point out the, you know, the real rational difference differences between the two positions. There is logical, rational, uh, undergirding of each position. In the Christian position, the wh whole point is hope. The whole point is that my life as a, as a sovereign individual has value, and I need to discover the value that I have. So that is a very hopeful approach to life, right? right. Well, atheism is nihilistic. It's macabre. It's destructive beyond belief because it says that you, first of all, you're not a sovereign individual. Number two, you, what you want is irrelevant. What you think is irrelevant. What you feel is irrelevant. This universe is, is meaningless. There's no purpose in it. There was a professor, uh, I think it was in the early 1900s in the 20th centuries. People would go take his class on these things. You had to sign a, a covenant at the beginning of the class to take it that you would not commit suicide once the class was over. What a bummer of a class. Talk yeah, about, man, <laughs> you know, rate your professor on that one nowadays. It's just ridiculous that, that nihilism is so destructive. People wonder, in, in America, we're so affluent. Our lifestyle, even amongst the poorest of the poor in America, the lifestyle, the poorest of the poor today live better than kings did 250 years ago, 300 years ago. Right. Their diet and access to diet, the comfort you know, that they have, heat in their home, electricity, things like that. Um, uh, what, what's going on is in a, such an affluent society where everything else is going down, you know, death by disease, uh, all of these types of things are going down, down, down. Why is the one thing that's going up, up, up is violence and suicide and opiate or drug abuse 
chemical addiction. Why are those things going up when everything else is going down? Right. You know, well, the reason why is because atheism is completely meaningless. It's absolutely and unequivocally meaningless. Uh, there was a, a atheist who was a professor. Can't think of his name off the top of my head. But he said this. I brought it up uh, Sunday in the second service, and I wanted to bring it up today. Uh, Penn Teller of... Uh, uh, Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. No, it's a Gillette. Penn Gillette. Penn Gillette. There we go. Yeah. I can't. I always get his name backwards. Penn Gillette. He 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 talks on the internet on a, a video series called The Big Think. He quotes him and he says, "Look, he goes, good people do good things. Bad. This is what this guy said. Good things do good. Uh, good people do good things. Bad people do bad things. But it takes religion for good people to do bad things. And so, so." You know, Penn's take on this is that this is the worst thing in the world because you have this thing out there that doesn't exist telling you what to do. And so it turns you his basic premise without saying is you're psycho, you know, because you'll go and kill people or do stuff. Of course, uh, this is a perfect example of what's good for you is completely irrelevant for me because the bottom line is is that his ideology has murdered more people than any ideology in the history of the world and they in the amount of bodies that his ideology has piled up all the other ideologies combined wouldn't get halfway to how many people his ideology has murdered and killed. Hmm. So all you have to do is read the history of the 20th century. You know, World War One, World War Two, Bolshevik Revolution, Mao Zedong's Cultural Revolution, uh, the, all the other places that come. You know, you have Myanmar, you have Cambodia, you have Vietnam, you have... Uh, it just goes on and on and on and on that communism and socialism, which are atheistic orientations and anybody, you know, this is the biggest thing today that happens in university is that you go to university and you say, well, you know, uh, communism, you know, is atheistic or atheism. And so they say, no, it's not. Atheism is a, a perspective on God and communism is a form of government. So what they try to do is they try to to separate them into different categories. But the bottom line is, is that communism is atheism. The entire ideology is built on the necessary removal of an objective truth, particularly God. And you have to get rid of that. That's why it was illegal in Russia. It was illegal in the Cultural Revolution. It's still illegal today in China. And uh, it was illegal in Cambodia. It was illegal in the Khmer Rouge. Uh, everywhere you go, it's illegal. Uh, and what's really interesting is if you read your history is that Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich, what he did, he was an atheist as well. He, the first thing he did is he went in and he took control of the Lutheran Church in Germany, right? And he dictated what they would, you know, preach on and, and speak on. Uh, just recently, uh, down in Nicaragua, when the Sandinistas took over, they were all communists. They arrested all the pastors. I knew one of the pastors. He was arrested. And uh, they put them in prison in these uh, small rooms where they had to take turns laying on the floor just to sleep because there wasn't enough room. And then they took them out and they tortured them by putting them in these buck in these 50 gallon barrels, you know, and they'd beat on them. 
and then roll them down hills. And they would say, you have to, all you have to do is you have to teach communism alongside Christianity and we'll let you go. And of course, the pastors refused to do that. They eventually let him out. And what happened is they then came to arrest him a second time and he heard about it. So he got in his uh, car and was trying to get out of Managua there in Nicaragua. Not Managua. What is it? Yeah, it is Managua. Um, but what happens is he got shot uh, when he went around a uh you know, one of those places where they stop you, kind of a checkpoint type thing. So he went around and they shot him and it hit him in the hip. So they took him to the, uh, to the hospital. And while he was at the hospital, his family would come and visit him while he was healing and bring food. And he would feed the guards that were assigned with it once he was released. And the doctors kept postponing, oh, he's not ready yet, he's not ready yet. And then one time when they were, they fell asleep, the doctor came in and silently signed the paper to release him, and they snuck him out. And then he came to America. And, wow. And then he went back to Honduras and started a large ministry there. But the, uh, you know, communism is evil. You know, it's just evil because it's based on an atheistic philosophy. And people are going to try to tell you, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yes, it is. There's no way around it. And so the bottom line is, is that, look, you have this nihilistic, meaningless framework. And the most loving thing that you can do as a human being is to point that out in order to contrast it with the Christian perspective. And the Christian perspective is you're loved by God. You are an important enough to him beyond any other thing that he came to bring you peace, like we just read in Ephesians. You are a sovereign, sentient human being. And that means your soul matters. It matters to God. Your dreams, your desires, your wants, your needs, all of these things are important to God. You are a living soul. Now you have an issue that keeps you from being at peace with God. It interferes with the pure desire of your soul. It negatively influences the purity of love in your own life. It undermines your sense of purpose in life. The Bible uses a general word for this, and that word is called sin. And it's a part of you because you live in this world that's filled with sin. So since you're unable to do a, a level of surgery required on yourself, you know, it's like if you cut your finger and you need to stitch it up, maybe you can do that, right? But that's not what you need. You know, sin has infected us all the way down to our soul, our very heart. You know, I don't know of any heart surgeons that are capable of operating on their own hearts. And this is what God did when he sent Christ. He took a, you know, part of him, you know, God incarnate came in the form of a human being, Jesus Christ, who was God, completely God, completely human all at the same time. Talk about a paradox. <laughs> um, and so what happens is in that situation, he, he, because of his death on a cross, he was able to perform heart surgery and break the power of sin and death, break the curse. And so I can't think of a more life-affirming, value-adding, hope-inspiring worldview, you know? Atheists, on the other hand, scientific materialists, naturalists, secular humanists, look, there is no God. There's only blind, non-personal, arbitrary, natural selection, 
There is no purpose to life. There's no direction in life. What you experience in this life is absolutely and unequivocally irrelevant. So we basically have two options to choose from. Yes. Either our lives have value or we're, we're meant for something or, or, or our lives have no value and we're meaningless. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And that's, that's it. And I think what love does is it allows that to happen and we don't take people's freedom to choose. You know, and I think that's what's really important as a church. Uh, and I mean that collectively, the kingdom of God and as people who follow God is that our goal is never take away the choices. Now, when you're a parent, you limit the choices of your kids, right? Right. Um, when they're infants, you make all their choices. Then when they kind of get to terrible twos and beyond, you start limiting their choices. But you get that and you hope that you've inspired and instilled and trained and coached enough so that when they become teenagers, you know, they make good choices. But if you approach them from the standpoint, I'm your parent, I'm absolutely in control of every decision in your life. How does your teenager respond? Usually fairly negatively to that, right? And they rebel against it. So as they grow, you want them to make their own choices. You don't want to take their freedom to choose away from them. So human beings don't like that. And so I think one of the things we have to do is, re is recognize that. Um, we have to give people and point out the freedom to choose by giving them rational, reasonable, faith-based, philosophically sound, love-inspired, all those types of things as a contrast to what atheism is teaching. And so I think that's really critical in all of that. You know, um, as we kind of wind this down, we start bringing this all together. That's really what I wanted to say is that we have two choices one is filled with hope and love, and the other one is filled with meaninglessness. And so we need to draw that contrast so that people really see that and that they can freely choose. Because I guarantee you, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're going to choose what? F love and freedom right. and meaning and purpose because their soul longs for that. So let's appeal to their soul. You know, and if, if you really want to dig into this more, you can read uh, uh, Alvin Plant. He is the uh, philosophy professor at Notre Dame, and he wrote a book called Where the Conflict Really Lies, Science, Religion, and Naturalism, or naturalism is a synonym for atheism. And in his book, he says something that's really pretty cool, and that is this, that science and religion or science and faith has some, you know, conflict. He said, but it's superficial conflict. And there's a couple theories in science that directly contradict faith or religion, but those are really unproven. And then he says something that's almost radical, but boy, he does knocks it out of the park. He says, evolution is the ultimate defeater of naturalism. So it's interesting because atheists try to use evolution to prove there is no God or that theism is false. But he digs into it. He goes, the bottom line is, is atheism slash naturalism has massive conflict with the theory of evolution. And when you understand the ideology of naturalism slash atheism, and then you understand the philosophical construct of evolution, those two are in absolute conflict with one another. And so you can't believe both. So what an interesting position that is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's their, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's their, their strongest argument, but their weakest link, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know they're they're using an argument that defeats their own premise. So I, I just if if you're an intellectual or you really get curious about that, buy that book, dig into it. It's a little dry because it's super thinky, and uh, but I think you you'll really get it. Suffice it to say is I think he's absolutely correct, and he is his book in scholarly circles, academic forums, is just taking the whole world by storm. Awesome, it really is. Well, and I, I think it's really important that we note that this series is kind of just like dipping your toe into the deep waters of yes. where this all can go. Um, Pastor Doug wanted to share these thoughts with you to start getting you thinking. Um, he could probably spend months and months just talking about how <laughs> faith and science intersect yeah. and support each other and how atheism is actually the antithesis of good science. <laughs> yes. But this is just kind of a, a warm-up course for you, and if you're really wanting to dig into it, um, there are a lot of resources out there for you to do yes. that. And who knows, in the future, we might expound upon this series a little bit more, bring back and, and dive in more at some point. So um, there's just a lot to get through. So Lots to get through. And it's Easter's a huge, coming. Easter's coming, yeah. And the, the most important thing we can do, the most significant thing that all of us can do uh, to to turn back the tide of these things is to love and minister to the people that are immediately around us, our friends and our family and introduce them to Jesus. And I, I want Foothills Christian church to be a church, a place where we are doing that and we do it in a way that is just exciting and hopeful for everybody. So please invite your friends, share this podcast. Let's get ready to see the kingdom of God grow this Easter in 2021. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on The Salty Pastor, and we'll see you on Thursday.